Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? watched uh lost boys which by the way the lost boys is the lost boys like from the 80s that movie it's hilarious so and in a real way like there's some comedy gold in that movie that both miles and i were like like look it's a cheeseball 80s movie but it holds up there's not um um there's no real i'm trying to think of like look the thing that's not dated there's no people of color in the movie that sucks yeah but in terms of um overtly race racist or sexist jokes not and obviously it's creepy and it's a vampire flick but it holds up i was shocked i thought this is going to be a piece of shit so what is the thought uh, how did you arrive at watching this movie so, okay, so that is such a great, that's a great question in that Miles and I never agree on what to watch, ever, 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 ever. His idea of, like, he wants to watch good things, right? Like, he wants to watch real stuff. I uh, have to be in a very specific mood to watch real shit. I can't be triggered about anything in any way. I can't be, it's really lame. Like, I can't, so... You're a delicate flower. Yeah. And I think it's also, I just am unwilling to um, use the brain power and the emotional wherewithal to focus on something that's like really good. So, okay. So, yeah. which is why I thought Lost Boys, right? Because who cares? But it was so good. But Miles likes to watch, um, like he wanted me to watch The Harder They Fall, you know, the new mm-hmm. sort of Western. And I I watched a little bit of, and it was, it was, I thought it was really, really well written, but it was also uber violent and uber like it was just too much so we didn't mm-hmm. okay Chappelle show interesting choice we started watching the first season of Chappelle show wow wow no it is not a shocker that Mr. Chappelle is is having the problems that he is having now yeah if you exactly. go back and watch the show it's really mm-hmm. interesting and I mm-hmm. I don't know where I fall. I, I do think that if you kill affordable housing, I hate your guts because those were all of my former clients. And also, and just for humanity's sake. So I hate that. And we talked about that on the podcast, right? And then, but anyway, so we stumbled upon it and I was like, let's watch. It pops up on my Netflix feed um, because why not? And um, and I was like, all right, let's watch it. And I expecting it to be so bad. First of all, Diane Weist is a goddamn national treasure. She really is. She really is. She's such a good actor. Okay, so if I had to pick my, I always play this game, my new parents. My new parents are going to be Brian Cox and Diane Weist. Oh, yes. I mean, it's it's going to be very weird. But it, it, that if I quirky, yeah, I told you how I met Brian Cox and asked him to be my new dad. Excuse me? It's a long time uh, ago. Before after I'm... all of the time I've spent talking to you about Succession and reading Brian Cox's autobiography. I just remembered it. And... I remembered it when I was talking, thinking about Diane, okay. Diane Weist last night. Okay. It was before, it was during um, adaptation uh, that Nick Cage made. And um, I like, I, I somehow 
it was he he was in a anyway it doesn't matter the point is i got to talking to him at a party and i was like i want you to be my new dad and um (laughs) and at the time my dad was still alive right so oh wow yeah yeah and and he was like you know what his response was i get that a lot and he was serious he said people project all this shit onto me i believe that that makes a lot of sense Oh, wow. Very interesting. Yeah, this is like before I knew anything about anything. And I, Right, 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 you know. right. Anyway, oh, my God. So we watched Lost Boys, all this to say, and we just did it because it was something that we both could agree on that wasn't going to cause me weirdness because I'm weird and it wasn't going to bore Miles or what ends up happening because I, you know, I was watching about a Canadian cannibal the other night. And he's like, I can't watch this before bed. Like I can't. And there's fair enough, fair enough. But you know who the stars of this movie are? The true stars, Corey Feldman and Corey Aim. Aim. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking, and the other frog brother, they were holi- like Corey Ames, Hames, um, his Haim, Haim, right? With H Corey yeah. Hames, Delivery costumes. Oh my God. The clothing like from the eighties and his delivery and his, his acting chops, his comedic acting chops are like fucking unparalleled. They're like on par with some deep shit anyway. So I, that's my recommendation. Watch the lost boys. I wish there were people of color in it, of course, but yeah, well, maybe they'll do a remake. That, that seems to be the way that they, they you know, yeah. fix that. Yeah. Well, not to brag, but at my dinner, my Valentine's dinner last night, um, two other very special people were at our same restaurant. Who? Hillary and Bill Clinton. Oh, my God. Yes. And it was so moving to see them. It was, especially her. Him, I'm like, uh, I've changed my tune a little bit about him, yeah. but. And she is just as energetic and bubbly and and kind. Uh, of course, I didn't want to go up up to them. I've never done that, but I've never gone up to a celebrity and said, "Can I whatever say hello right. or take your picture, whatever." But on the way out, they were seated in such a way that you could sort of see in when when you left and I just did you know I just blew kisses at her and she just you know waved her hands and gave me a big smile it was really really nice that is so awesome we we, it's okay we didn't deserve her honestly right right we would have we would have ruined it in one way or another and then juxtapose that with um reading this morning, I don't know how I got on this topic. I was reading about what's happening with Kanye right now. It's really sad. He needs it's help. really sad. And I, why are we still in this place where we don't, not enough of us know that this is not something to joke about. This is not something to salivate over. Like this person really needs help. And the rich, the, the, the ultra rich in some ways are in a similar position to the ultra poor when it comes to basic things like, you know, healthcare. We've talked about it a lot with respect to drugs and all the yes, yes people that are in celebrities' lives that you know ultimately I think lead to their death. But also the, this issue of mental health going and and I'm sorry, but Britney Spears seems to be going off the rails too. 
I, I'm not saying that it was right that she was in the, that conservatorship, but I think she was on meds that she's not on now. And I'm sorry, I wish it weren't the case that really sick, mentally ill people needed to take meds, but they do. They just do. There's no, it's just the truth. There's no point in like quibbling about it. Hey, let me run this by you. All this to say, I have never been in the presence of someone who literally is a compulsive liar. Like I've been around people that, because this is LA, right? Everyone is a blowhard. Right. This person is a pathological, compulsive um, liar. It is so. So, and the reason I bring it up is one to gossip, <laughs> but two. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. like, right? But two to talk about. This is why, like, I was thinking about you, how you posted, how you saw the my name is Anna, right? Like, and how we're writing about Agnes, right? So, Agnes, I don't think is a compulsive liar at all, but she's a con person. So there's, there's, and this person I was around was fascinating. And I actually, once I knew the diagnosis of a person, of this person, it, 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 it settled me. So I find, I don't know if you have this experience where when I'm around someone and I don't know what their major malfunction is, but there is a malfunction, I am petrified, right? Yes. I'm like, but stick me in a room and someone's like, okay, this person has narcissistic personality disorder with, you know, with, 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 um, psychotic tendency, whatever it is. I'm like, okay, I know what I'm working with. Right. I know what I'm working with. Yeah. So once her diagnosis, like this is a diagnosis that she's received, right? Right. A personality that, but anyway, it put, When I, so I could be in the room or outside with this person and I could say, oh, and this person is so narcissistic. They never listen to our podcast. Like they, they won't listen to our podcast at all. She didn't even really remember who I was in a way, in that way. Anyway, so out of context or whatever. So watching a compulsive liar at work, fascinating, Gina, fascinating because you can see as I'm, so I'm a kind of a gregarious gal, right? Duh. But like, I am, I like people, but I could see when I was telling a story, I was telling a story about my mushroom use, right? And so how I tried to drive a car on mushroom. It's a very funny and sad and funny story. And it's a true story. Fucking happened to me with Anna Maria who came from Vashon Island and Jeffrey Brown and I, and Anna took mushrooms. You've never told me this story. It's the greatest story ever told. I mean, like, Oh, you told me that you saw a family and you thought they were calling themselves the lard family. Okay. That was when I was on acid. So different, and different solving or something. Yeah. Like that, different, right? different uh, thing. Okay. So, okay. Went to South America, went to Paraguay for Amigos gave vaccinations. My partner was Anna Maria. Anna Maria, um, she was from Vashon Island off the coast of Seattle. On Vashon Island is a hippie island. On the, in, uh, on the grounds of the police station grew hallucinogenic mushrooms. All the kids <laughs> knew about it. Anna Maria decides, I want to come visit you. We, we kind of made friends. I'm going to visit you in Chicago. She fucking brings 
tons of hallucinogens on the plane at 16. She's 16, I'm 16. But because to, dis to disguise them, she puts them in a huge bag of potpourri. So we don't know what's the mushroom and what's the potpourri. Okay. Oh, like just mixed it in. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay. So you were burping up. Uh, well, so we didn't know. So flowers. Jeffrey Brown, of course, and he's fine talking about this because we've talked about it. Jeffrey Brown's like, I'll do them with you. There were no measurements. There were no, we grabbed oh, handfuls oh, of oh, what we oh, thought were, oh, oh. I was 16. Okay, fine. It all was fun. We had a good time. It was really gross. And my throat burned from the potpourri. Don't know how many mushroom caps I took. Probably a lot. A lot. Probably a lot. Because <laughs> it doesn't take a lot. You I know. mean, depending on the potency. All fun and games until they were, we, I had to drive home and I was driving my mom's Honda. So I get in the car and we're on Lakeshore Drive. And I stop the car and I say on Lakeshore drive Yeah, and Anna and Jeffrey, we had dropped Jeffrey off and Jeffrey's like, or, or Anna's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I have to stop the car because, uh, and she's like, why? And I was like, I gotta be honest. I don't know how this car works. <laughs> <laughs> like I couldn't figure out the mechanics of why it was. Mm -hmm. I said, there's piston mm -hmm. pistons involved. And, and she was like, you fucking a. Okay, so I was, it was crazy. So I'm stuck on Lakeshore Drive, right? And you're 16. 16. I mean, there's so many things vulnerable about the situation. And, I, and I'm prone to anxiety, right? So that's a whole... So, okay, finally she's like... And she doesn't drive, right? She doesn't drive. She's 16. She doesn't have her license yet. She doesn't know how. I barely know how. So she's like, you have to pull back on. You have to. I think I probably managed to pull off a little bit. She's like, you, you do you know where you live? She's in a new city. She doesn't. There's no cell phones. Right, right, right. And I, oh I'm like, God. I live. I know where I live. I live in Evanston. And so that was good. But then I get back in the car and I'm like, oh, my God, Anna, I have bad news. And she's like, oh, my God, what? And I'm like, there are people chasing us. Because the headlights oh, in the back, oh, I was like, there oh, are a baby. lot of cars chasing us. And a she was like, what do you mean? Women. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God. And so I then started to panic, of course. And I, and I go home and I'm like, my parents are having a fucking dinner party. It's Sunday night. <laughs> <laughs> There's this poor girl who brought drugs on an airplane with me. Who doesn't know my parents from Adam? I lived with her for two months. They don't know her. So I walk in to the dinner party and I say, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but uh, I've just taken, apparently I've just eaten a, a lot of hallucinogenic mushrooms and I'm, I'm freaking out. And my mom goes, oh my fucking God. Like she like was pissed off. And my dad just put his head in his hands and was like, I'll talk you down. And so, oh, yeah, he was lovely. Daddy. Yeah, he was great. My dad, thank God he was a psychologist, even though he was fucked yes. up. He had some yeah. training in this. So yeah. I sat with my dad and talked for, and then they were like, we got it. He's like, you should eat something. So like they should have ordered in, but they're like, no, let's go to the bagel. And I'm like, okay. So we go, to <laughs> so we all go, my parents and this girl, this woman who is unknown to us. Other than now my parents know she's a drug dealer, right? So we go to the bagel. Now, I don't know what was happening, Gina, but we walk into the bagel and there's a clown in full clown suit behind the bar. <laughs> and I start hyperventilating and I want to leave. And my mom's like, no, you have to stay. Like she's punishing me, right? 
So I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. So we sit, it was like a birthday party or something, but it was like Sunday night. Okay. So we sit down. The waitress comes over. Wait, what happens at the dinner party? So they all leave. Like it was Everybody a crisis. Left. Everybody's like, oh, it was a this crisis. is a bad situation. Yeah, it was yeah, like okay. three other couples. Crisis. Teenage mm. crisis. Okay. They mm-hmm. leave. Whatever. All right. So then we go to the bagel and we see the clown. And I'm like, oh my God. No, no, no. So we sit in another area. Um, and the waitress comes. And literally, this is what happened. My mom's like, Hey, uh, the way they were, she, my mom is like a huge soup nut. And um, she goes, what's the soup? And the lady goes, oh, cream of mushroom. And then my mom and everyone erupts <laughs> into laughter. And I feel like I'm on, you know, again, tripping. So it was a bad scene. It was a bad oh, scene. Bad scene. Bad scene. And, 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 and I had panic attacks from that from weeks on. So I know oh, wow. that I need to be very careful. But okay, I tell this story for this reason. One, it's a funny story. Yeah, it was my introduction to psychedelics. But two, as I'm telling this story, I see this other person at the party livid and thinking, how can I outstory this story? Oh, oh, shoot. Oh, no. And I didn't mean for that. And I thought, oh. Of course right. not. Of course not. But, You're not living your life to, to injure a narcissist. she's looking but... and looking at me and thinking. You can almost see the wheels turning about, like, how am I going to one-up this story at this dinner party outside at 8 p.m.? Like, it, 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 it's crazy. But there's competition going. And I'm like, and then... So then this person launches into this totally unbelievable, like right. crazy story about hallucinogens. Oh, that's so sad. It was so sad. And I, I wanted to say so many things to yeah. this person. I said nothing. Cause I'm not, you said, not my job. Oh, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. That's, that's their, that's their journey. But did the person whose name we will have bleeped um, by the time this airs, did that person t- like say something to you in advance or you're just saying you experienced no, no. this compulsive life? No, no, no. They've known, you know, they've known this person forever. And it, it's the things that this person says is wild. Like we'll say, I bought a house and they didn't buy a house. I am oh, going to wow. Greece tomorrow. No, no. And, and the person who is having the party is just okay with it because so that's- my husband chimes in because he's, he's he's like why the why the fuck are you friends with this person and they say it's like family it's like this weird and the answer is i don't know and i don't think they know yeah right anyway no, it it's was- like family uh, yeah well and you're right that's what you said about when when you know the context i like i have a few friends who yeah, they, they have diagnosable personality disorders, but knowing this about them and loving them anyway kind of gets me off the hook of like having to feel bad about it or having to feel worried about it. I mean, yeah, those are not the people that you're necessarily going to go to with your every intimacy, right? But but to know, just, just, just to like know what brand of crazy you're dealing with can kind of make it because at the end of the day, you know, the only way... Not, not that it was anybody's job to change the compulsive liar, but the only way that those people ever do eventually kind of see to a life full of more integrity is not by, I mean, sometimes I guess it's from people abandoning them, but mostly it's from people saying, you know, I love you and I know you're lying to me. 
you know, it, which is a hard thing for me. Lying is like, is that if I, I'm, I, I don't think I've ever said before that I have a trigger, but that's my trigger is lying. I, when somebody starts lying to me, I, 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 I well up with such rage and I realize it's my own narcissism, right? How dare you lie to me? I, you know, like as if it's something they're doing to me instead of something that they're doing defensively for themselves in the same way that everything I do is defensively for myself. Like it's just a different brand of defense. Yeah, it was wild. Well, that that recasts some of my own experiences with that person. And wow, okay, fascinating. Yeah, and criminal, we've talked about this criminal things involved. So it's just, it's what it is for me was, a real um, reckoning with my own desire, right, to be something that I'm not. Like, I understand mm-hmm. that in my bones. Yes. So if, okay, I guess, I guess like I practiced before, like say, what would I say to this person? Because I thought like, if I was to try to quote, help this person, which I'm not going to try to do, but I'm just saying like, okay, well, the urge is there to, to compa- have compassion. This is what I would say. Oh, how I get it. This deep down in my bones need to be something I'm not, something greater than I'm not, than me, something prettier, something thinner, something more attractive, something smarter, funnier, all the things. I know that feeling. So what I grew up with that feeling, it's been reinforced. And I know it in my bones. And I have tried every way I can think of to combat that. And nothing has worked except for the thing that I'm running the most away from, which is the truth. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. such a fucking mm-hmm. catch 22. It's like, so when I yeah. tell the truth, I'm so scared sometimes to tell it, whether it's, uh, I feel inadequate. I made a mistake. I, um, whatever it is, I'm feeling less than I feel you're mad at me. I feel all the things. If I don't say that, if I say anything but the truth, the suffering I experience only gets multiplied then for the person who is a compulsive liar in a way you could think about it like being a verbal tick like if somebody had Tourette's you know and and was and every other thing they uttered was like an involuntary sound that's almost how you could think about the compulsive liar my the problem that I have is I get into this thing of like well if I don't confront your lie then I'm co-signing it which actually is not how, how it works, no. right? You, I, I'm not in charge of what you say. No. You, you you have lies spewing out of your mouth. Right. I mean, that's that's your problem. Right. It's so you know? interesting, and I think it, I think it, um, it 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 just is so, um, it's just a fascinating part of human, of, of human. What is it like pathology when stuff gets, yeah. and that's the mm-hmm. way it manifests because. Um, we just want to be so much sort of more um, safe and, and special. We want to be safe and special. What do you think it would be like for a person who is so sick with the lying? What do you think it would be like for them? I mean, what, 
I wonder if it's something as simple as like walking through. Okay, so what do you think is going to happen if you tell the truth? People aren't going to like me. Okay, well, has it ever occurred to you that people don't like you for not telling the truth? Right. Uh huh. Well, people aren't going to like you, and and then what? You know, because of course the thing is like the problem is not that other people aren't going to like you. The problem is that you don't like yourself. This is this is my news like not not profound but profound to me realization about life is just like really the whole thing is whether or not you love yourself yeah right and when you're talking about relating to other people loving other people supporting other relationships like pretty much rupaul said it if you can't love yourself how the hell are you gonna love somebody else it's just what it is it's like a fact it's not a even really an opinion yeah and 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 uh, I am on a journey of figuring out how to love myself. And it's really scary. It's like, I have no idea how this is going to turn out. I don't know from this, right? right? But so far, my furtive little steps are, are turning out great. As an example, um, you know, I was talking to somebody about... I was talking to somebody that I'm in a, you know, that I have a closeness with about uh, pro- not even problems, but just, you know, areas of challenge in, in the, in the relationship. Sure. And for the first time I didn't take, this person was telling me what they are struggling with, with me. And I didn't take it personally. I took it like, Oh, you're telling me what your struggle is. Okay. I, I get that. I didn't, I didn't have to take it on like as my own personal right. thing. I didn't have to make it about my own ego, mm-hmm. you know, getting, feeling rejected. I could really see. And it, the only thing I can attribute it to is I have somewhat more of a better sense of myself such that I'm not constantly looking to another person to tell me if I'm good or not. podcast we are talking to scott torrance scott torrance is an actor you may know him from a film that starred many theater school graduates like sean gunn and judy greer and lee kirk a film called the specials um he was also in six feet under and a film called rave and buffy the vampire slayer scott is currently living in his hometown of tulsa oklahoma he is running his very own hair salon and he is funny and charming and sweet and lovable. So please enjoy our conversation with Scott Torrance. Anyways. Oh, okay, good. Recording in progress. Got it. All right. Scott Torrance, congratulations. You survived theater school. Yes. Thank you. By the grace of God, I did. (laughs) By the (laughs) grace of God. Now, wait, did you guys graduate the same year, right? Because you, you, you were in Scott was in the class right below mine, and then I'm wait, not sure. what year did you graduate? Ninety eight. Yeah, we were in the same. But listen, but listen, I was so far gone that I don't. I just couldn't even because I took a year off that I don't remember. Literally, I remember nothing. So, so um, yeah, same. we were in the same class. Same. Okay, awesome. Because I was trying to wreck my brain. I was like, I remember you. I remember you being a year ahead of me, both of you. Um, 
And then, you know what, to be honest, I was just going to blame it on a whole lot of ecstasy that I did for four years. I've blown out a lot of brain cells and I, there's a lot of things <laughs> to remember and a lot of things that I don't. But... Let's get into it because yeah. honestly, um, that I think, I mean, I remember that that is what you were going through or getting into or whatever you want to call it. You were the first person I knew who was like really into rave culture, which I thought was so cool and dangerous and adventurous and exciting. Um, was that something you were involved in before you came to theater school? A little bit. Um, I am from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and um, I was this little gay boy raised by my mom and my aunt. And uh, I knew from the time, I knew, I knew once I knew what a big city was, I belonged in it. You know, I knew that I never belonged here. Um, and so I just uh, started acting um, when I, I my my aunt Coco, my crazy aunt Coco, was an actress around town in uh, community theater, and she took me to see Peter Pan when I was six, and I fell in love with it because they flew. And three years later, it, the same theater company held auditions, and I was like, I want to play Michael because I want to fly. And I practiced and practiced. I went in and I auditioned for it and got called back and I got that part and uh, the bug bit. And from that point on, laser focused. And one of the things that I have that's a blessing and a curse, I think, is I have the ability to get laser focused on something and not stop until I get it. But I usually get laser focused on the wrong things be it the rave culture and the club, the, the club kid thing. <laughs> I mean, it was fun. But I should have probably been focused a little bit more on class. Uh, well, I have a question. I think that for me, um, I don't think there's, I mean, look, I'm not going to uh, say your experience wasn't valid because it sounds like it, but at least you had fun, right? <laughs> While the rest of us were like, I mean, like, tell us what that was like. How did you get into that culture? Because I remember being like, oh my God, these kids are so cool and they're having a fucking blast. Was it fun, first of all? It was so much fun. It was too, too much fun, <laughs> um, you know? And um, coming into the theater school, I knew I wasn't going to be, I knew I was going to be surrounded by people that were better than me. You know, we were all kind of like, I felt like the best of where we came from, you know? So I was prepared to not be the golden child. Um, but what was interesting was I was very curious and I was, you know, dropped into Chicago from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so I had no fear when I was 18. I, I mean, I feared the professors, but not Chicago nightlife. And so I just, I went to Crowbar one night by myself. I took a cab. I used to go there. I used to I went, go there. That's yes. I waited in line, freezing my ass off for like an hour. And then I saw these magical people like just walk through with these huge platform shoes and this crazy makeup. And I was like, oh my God, I want to be them. And uh, finally got in and like fought my way to the back of the club where all of these fantastic people were. And I had the nerve to just ask one of them, I'm like, where'd you get those shoes? And they're like, oh, I had them made. I was like, where? like a cobbler or something oh like bear. so I got my dad's combat boots that he gave me because he really wanted me to be a tough guy and I said oh, I'll keep these boots and I took them in and I got six inches of like platform attached dressed up in these like um these like striped overalls and I had this like 
matching hat and I wore those shoes and I walked up to the club the next time and they were like right this way you don't have to pay like oh yes and from that point on I felt like I, I felt famous amazing I felt yeah. it never occurred to me until just now that raves are theater Yes. I, I don't know why that didn't occur to me until, until, until you just said it. You made your entrance and with your correct costume on and then you got the part. Yeah. Right. Totally. And you were also famous. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the other thing that I've learned from talking to people like you and um, another guest, Ed, we had on kind of talked about this, that like that um, and watching documentaries that the club kid thing was a, tr- a mix of like fashion show meets theater meets like Caligula like did like so um what debauchery but it's it's a theater it was like theater of it meets a fashion show it was, it was fantastic I agree and I also on the on the touching on the famous part feeling famous not having to pay twenty dollars at the time which was pretty hardcore uh I thought to get into anywhere um I was like hobnobbing with like Dennis Rodman in the VIP oh, lounge. Yes, at the right. time, I thought was to- he was totally hot. Now he's not anymore. Um, Billy Corgan. I mean, I was hanging with these like stars, so I felt famous. I remember talking to Billy Corgan. I was as tall as he was because it was six inches on this five seven foot body. We were face to face, and he's like, "Where'd you get those shoes? They're pretty cool." And I'm like, "Oh my god, I love them so much!" Like it was just, it was magical. But I was also like, I was so wrapped up that um, it got me into some like kind of like bad situations. And um, do you mean like dangerous situations? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Okay. So do you guys remember the seven minute rule? Like. If you were late seven minutes, the door would close. And then if the door closed, you could go oh, in. Yeah. And if you, yeah. Yeah. If you missed three times, you were completely kicked out of school. It didn't matter if it was like last semester, senior year, three times, you're out. And from what I remember, our credits wouldn't transfer. So they put the fear of God in us to like make it on time, which I, I agree with. Like, I think, you know, time is money. Um, I've never really had a problem with being prompt, but um, there was one night that, okay, so I had Bill Burnett for voice and speech. I can't, I think it was our second year. Yes. And I just could not with him. I would just- Me too. I got in a fight with him in class where I stormed out because he told me I had, I was a chicken necking and that (laughs) I did this too much. And then I looked like a chicken and I couldn't take it. Cause, and I just stormed out that motherfucker. I never liked him. Well, he just put me to sleep and granted I probably wasn't on any sleep, you know, going into that class, but I risked, I risked it for that biscuit and I just skipped twice. I was like, I can't, I can't, but I won't miss the third time. Now this is kind of a dark story, but I um, went to, so Tuesdays and Wednesdays in Chicago were like the nights that like weren't epic. And, um, back then and I remember just going to this gay bar in Boys Town um, just to have some drinks and I remember all of a sudden waking up in the emergency room with restraints on my arms and legs and a catheter and I was like I had no idea how I got there oh my I was god like, oh, like what happened and finally the doctors came in and said 
you know, you were fighting us. We were trying to have, and I, I don't remember, I don't, I'm total blackout. And you guys, I've never laid a finger on anyone in my life. Um, but they said it was a possible GHB overdose or roofie overdose. So someone bought me a drink. The one night that I just went out to just have like a couple drinks, not like eat a bunch of ecstasy and like, you know, dance till dawn. Anyway, that morning, if I hadn't gotten out of that and gotten to Bill Burnett's class, I would have been kicked out. So after they removed the catheter, sorry, this is really, it was, it was very, very painful. <laughs> they took the restraints off. I was like, I have to get to Bill's class or I'm gonna get kicked out. And I yanked my IV out of my arm. I like dressed as fast as I could. I ran, because I feel like it was really close to the theater school that ER, I ran to his class and I got in there <laughs> in time. Oh and I never told anyone about it. I was mortified, but I was like, I can't miss this class. Like I can't, or I'll be kicked out. So yeah. But um, Scott, does that mean you you don't know what happened to you that night? I don't. I I, I don't think because the guy that I went with supposedly like just like dropped me off. Um but anyway, I don't believe that anything happened to me. I think that I was trying to fight maybe because I was like in a blackout, but I felt like people were like trying to undo my clothing, but it was probably like the nurses and the doctors and stuff, you know? Right. And, oh and my God. It, it was nuts. And I think about it now and I'm like, oh my God, that really was fucked up. But you know what? I made it to Bill's class. And I did <laughs> oh my God. How old were you? Eight? Was that our second year? So 19, 20? Year, 19, 20. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh my God. Well, I, I'm really sorry that happened to you. I'm really glad nothing, nothing terrible happened to you. But I, I want to jump just back to the thing that you said in the beginning about feeling famous because that is the what my it, I wouldn't have occurred to me until you said it but that is my impression of you like that you not in a in a jerky way but that you were it seemed you seemed very self-possessed to me you, well and for sure you had a life outside of school which m many of us didn't so that was sort of like intriguing um but overall it does seem like you have a lot of grit as a person would you say that's true? Um, I definitely did back then. I had kind of had no fear. Well, I had all the fear in the theater school, <laughs> but um, but yeah, there was, I don't know. You know, I think it's that like invincibility thing when you're younger, you know, the older you get, the more, or for me, uh, the older I get, the more I'm, I, I cherish, you know, I, I think about what I have. Like, I don't just, I don't ride rides on roller coasters anymore. <laughs> like the last time, I mean, I went to Hawaii a few years ago with my family and my mom. Um, like I kept being told like, take the helicopter tour. It's magical. It's, it is a religious, religious experience. And I was like, so looking forward to it. Well, my mom booked for whatever reason, booked the helicopter with the doors off. You guys, it was like an hour long panic attack. Like my no. nails dug into my mom's like, I was like, make it stop. This is horrible. And then when it was over, I was like, when did I become a wimp? Like when yeah. did I, but I think it comes with age, right? It totally does. I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. Oh, it was about skiing. I, you know, I was talking about, was about skiing. I'm saying like, I just can't unring this bell of knowing people 
die from skiing, like from kind of a minor sort of, you make one false move and you're just dead and just seems like not a, not a way to, it's not worth it <laughs> in terms of a way to go. If you're going to take a danger, take a risk, it should be like really, really worth it. But you, it, so is it right to say that the thing you sort of regret or feel badly about with the parting in school is that you, that you might've almost gotten kicked out or did you, was it some, was there more to it than that? Um, I, you know, I, I don't think I regret it. Um, I mean, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but like I had to be somewhat talented to like roll into like Shakespeare class, no pun intended, roll into Shakespeare class and do some Shakespearean sonnet after coming straight from after hours, like on no sleep. Like, I don't know how I did it. I, <laughs> but somehow I did it. And I also came out, you know, alive, thank God. Um, I had a girl in my class um, that something really horrible happened to. Um, and uh, I don't know if we, I don't know if we can bleep names. Um, you guys remember? Yeah, we can bleep, we can bleep names. You guys remember who I'm talking about? So that could have happened to me. You know what I mean? Like I put myself, not to say that she did anything wrong at all, but you know, that could have happened to me, you know? And yeah, there and by, God, for the grace of God. There before the grace of God. Absolutely. Did, did you make, were there a bunch of, um, kids at, in our class, in our school that, that you went with? I remember some, but like, did you, or did you have two totally separate groups of friends? So starting out, um, I remember listening to Noelle's podcast with you guys and I heard her say, I was sitting around at a friend's place and they're like, let's go to a club. I think she was talking about me because Noelle was hot and I is beautiful. She's gorgeous. And um, I was like, well, that'll help me get into this club and we are friends, you know? And so she was like happy, like hanging out in the VIP room. Whereas I was, ecstasy did something to my body it made me dance all night long without stopping and so I started dropping all this baby weight and so there was another part of it which was body image you know I was this chunky monkey my whole life and then um I just started dropping weight like crazy because I was dancing literally all night long yeah you literally were doing cardio for 12 hours at a time hours. right yeah 12 Yes, yes, totally. Like I could wring my jeans out, my big old raver jeans that I got in a lot of trouble at the theater school for wearing, because they said that you know we can't see your full movement. Um, I could wring those out with. I mean, it was it was like hot yoga for twelve hours, but like or Zumba. <laughs> what? So what, what? Why and when and how did the party end? Um. So. Um. Not till later on, not till, honestly, not till after. So, okay, so I never felt like the golden child of the theater school. I don't know if any of us did, although listening to these podcasts, like some of the people that I thought were golden, they didn't, they didn't, you know, we all have this similar experience where it's like, oh, you were scared too? Oh, wow. I had no idea you guys were scared. I thought everybody loved you. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the only real feedback like that I had that was positive from any teachers were John Jenkins and um uh Jane Jane Alderman um and I know that's not I I haven't heard a lot of that 
on this podcast, but, um, and I almost had kind of like imposter syndrome in her class because I was like, well, she hasn't seen my work all four years. So like I, in our class, I thought was kind of competitive, like pretty competitive. Um, but Agreed. Jay, it was very weird. Very weird. Yeah. Especially the girls. Like I didn't get, you know, like I didn't get a lot of, I don't, I didn't feel the same heat from the guys as I did from some of the girls. But anyway, um, um, so I had a really amazing, it's weird. Like I had the most amazing showcase experience ever. I think um, I was blown away. I couldn't believe it. Um, oh my gosh, this is a great story because I'm obsessed with showcase stories and yeah. they've all been horrific pretty right. much. So can you tell us your experience? I'm so excited. I would love to. Okay, so I um, was like freaking out about a monologue. Didn't know what to do. Um, but Jane, you know, Jane was just, she was just kind. You know, she didn't favor me. I didn't feel like she was just kind. And she's like, just ask Zach Helm to write you a monologue. So I reached out to Zach, who I'd never, I mean, we weren't really friends. I mean, I knew who he was, but um, I got his number. I called him and he said, okay, I want you to make me a mixtape and send it to me. And I'm like, okay. He's like, don't think about it. Just make me a mixtape, send it to me. And I, so I did, and he wrote me this monologue. And it wasn't, I think this is important for actors that are about to graduate. Um, it wasn't a character. It wasn't, I wasn't playing anybody else. It was me ranting on stage. I walked out and I just was going off about what really pisses me off in the world. <laughs> and, um, and so I lucked out with that. Um, Chicago Showcase, I, it was one of those I walked off stage and I was like, I have no idea what that was. You know, that was an out-of-body experience. I don't know if that went well. Then we go to LA and um, it was like all the stars aligned, you guys. Like, I cannot even tell you. I got out there, I like started and this laughter started happening. And I was like, okay, I've, I've got these people in my pocket. So I just go on and on and rant and rave. And I got a fucking standing ovation. Shut up. I'm not kidding you. I could not believe it. I was like, is this real? This can't be real. Like, did did I imagine that? And then I remember afterwards. Oh my God. This is the greatest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> it was one of the best moments of my entire life. Rick Murphy walks up to me and he's like, well, someone did well this evening. And I was like, oh my God. And then. Jane called me into her hotel room and she sat me down and she was, okay, look, listen, I want you to know that you have more interest than Judy, Leonard, or Mike Mooney combined. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? She's like, no. So I need you to go home and get some, or go, go to your hotel room, go night night, because you are booked like this entire time. So I don't know what everybody else did, but I took meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting. Then <laughs> um, one of the- Wait, I gotta interrupt. Can I interrupt you? Because I just have a question. What was that? I have, were you like, my whole life is about to change? Like I, I'm now a star? Cause I would be like, hey mom, I'm never coming home. Like I'm now fucking a star. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. it. I honestly felt like I was dreaming the whole time. I was like, oh, just my dreams are coming true. And uh, of all people, me, like, because I just felt really not 
I don't know. I, I just, I was never, I felt like I was never really liked by most teachers, you know? And I don't think they knew what to do with me casting. I didn't, I couldn't picture me in a lot of things. Like I couldn't see a clear picture of where I belonged in the business. It's know? so interesting. I think you hit LA and LA hit you at a time where you said the stars aligned, but they were looking for something and that something was you. Like that is the clear thing of like perfect match and perfect time for that. Anyway, it's just so, it's such, I'm so intrigued. Keep going, keep going. <laughs> no, I agree with you. Um, So then I, uh, then every, so I think we were there for two days maybe. Um, I didn't see anybody because I was just, it was one meeting after the other. And then I was told I needed to stay a day later because there was this audition for this movie called Rave. And I was like, okay. So everybody else flew back to Chicago and I had to stay in the hotel room by myself. And I got the sides to the script. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to audition for a movie in Hollywood tomorrow. And by the way, all the meetings that I took, they were like, go back to Chicago, get your SAG card, and then move out here. That was like basically what everyone said. Go back to Chicago, get your SAG card, move back here. So I go to this audition um, by myself. First of all, it's hard as fuck to find a cab in LA. Coming from Chicago, I was like, how the hell am I going to even get there? <laughs> but I figured it out. I went, I auditioned for it. I didn't really know how I did. Flew back to Chicago. And then I found out that I, I booked it. And I was like, what? Are you fucking kidding? No, first, what? Not, it's totally true. And I wasn't SAG. And so they did something called a Taft Hartley, which I, I don't know that I, I think that I should probably look that up, but it's like waves of magic wand and now you're yeah. Magic yeah. So I graduated and then two weeks later, flew to Los Angeles. I moved in with, um, so Zach Helm, Kate McKiernan, Kat Phillips, Ellen Mills, um, Jeff Bulterman were all living in this huge house in Koreatown. And they're like, um, we would love to have you as a roommate. And I'm like, that's great because I have no idea where the hell I'm going or what I'm doing. I flew in $5 to my name. Oh, and Saffron, don't let me forget. Saffron also lived at that, at that house. Um, went to sleep, woke up, and I think it was Kate or, or, or Zach that drove me to set the first day, because I mean, I didn't know directions. I didn't have a car. And I started shooting this movie, and it was just totally unbelievable. Okay, I have to just say, this whole thing is unbelievable, but like, can I ask you, like, when you're sitting in these meetings, because you were like, what, how old were you? I was 21. So you're uh, sitting in these meetings with people. Were you able to like, do you think, here's what I'm making up, okay? And I could be wrong. Like all your stuff with like the club scene where you have to pretend and dress up and like you're, and you're already famous kind of. Do you think that helped prepare you for these meetings in terms of feeling like you deserved to be there? Um, I don't know if, no, no but you know what it did teach me? Like hanging out with all those club kids. When I got the the sides to that movie, I was like, I know this guy. I partied with this guy. I I mean, I it just felt like I could totally do this. And there weren't a lot of parts. Um, I did Bomb and Gilead with John Jenkins um, my second year as an intro. 
where I got to wear my stacks in that in that thing, and I got to be this like over the top flaming um, like hooker boy. <laughs> Not to say that you know, I, I, but I I had something to base that off of. You know what I mean? So that was really fun. Um, rave kind of just like fell right. I mean, it was again, it was luck. It was like winning the lottery, stars aligned. I I partied with this character before, so I know how to play him. And um, but um, but they a lot of so the agency that I liked the most, they still wouldn't sign me. They were like, this doesn't happen. So, but we still like you, so we're gonna hip pocket you, and we're gonna send you out on auditions. And I was like, okay. And they're like, and get ready to not work. And I was like, okay. And I, I, I didn't feel entitled. I mean, I felt like I was just lucky, like right place, right time, stars aligned. Um, and they started sending me out on auditions. And then I remember going to an audition that they said, you know what, go, you just need to go meet this casting director because she just won an award for uh, Boogie Nights. And I was like, cool, okay. And I went in and Sean Gunn was in the room and his brother was in the room. And I, it was like a two-liner um, for this movie called The Specials and Judy was in it <laughs> and, uh, and Sean was in it. And so I walk in and I do the two lines. They're like, did you go to Goodman? And I said, yes, I sure did. And they're like, thanks. And then I get a phone call from agent. You booked it come in and sign the papers, like you're signed, let's do this. And I was like, yes, so that paid off because connections, right? Like knowing people, right? Like the theater school was a connection for me in that room. Little did I know then, but the Gum Brothers would be now like amazing, right? But, um, but so, yeah. So you you hit the ground clearly running, like clearly. So um, you just, could we never talk to anybody that literally has had this experience where you, your showcase went so well that you basically just stayed, you, 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 you moved to LA and you, um, had an agent and everything. Um, but I want to say, how was it shooting the rave movie? Just not knowing how to make movies. Like, um, how, how did you do that? Well, I learned very quickly that, um, you know, the camera's right in your face. So I got, you know, I first day, they were like, tone it way down, dude. Like, camera's right here. You know, don't act for the back of the house. And I also was getting cues from my fellow actors. We were, I think the first scene, we were all like laying in bed after like this rave goes terribly wrong. And one of our friends ODs and we're talking about like, is she gonna be okay? And I'm like, she'll be fine. And they're like, no. Like, listen, and the other two actors were like whispering and, and we were whispering in bed. I was like, oh, right, yeah. The camera's like right here, okay. Um, I got I got clocked by a couple directors for just being too big. Um, I did a, an episode about the Vampire Slayer and I, I was this half, this kid that blows himself up with a bomb and he's half zombie, half burn victim and comes back to wreak havoc on the high school. And I, with all this makeup, it took like four hours to get into this makeup. And I would practice in my trailer. And I'm like, and I did these nervous tics and stuff for this kid. I mean, I got called in like five times for this part, which was just like one episode. Um, but I had, it was this nerdy guy with these tics. So I was like, you can't really see what I'm doing in this makeup. Again, I was just told, bring it down. Like, stop being so extra. <laughs> Like the mm -hmm. camera will see you. And I'm like, got it. Okay, gotcha. 
Um, but yeah. Well, Scott, at the at the risk of sounding like a terrible television movie, and then what happened? Because you okay. So, you had all this. What, what happened? What yeah. Happened so, so the thing is, um, um, I got really close to a lot of pilots. Um, I would go and test for network, and it would always be between me and one other person, me and one other person. And every single time it didn't work out, I would cry. <laughs> like I would, I would be devastated. And then, then I would go to work with like this swollen red face. Like I get red and splotchy anyway. I, I would get red and splotchy walking into auditions. That was before I knew anything about beta blockers. But hey guys, if you're out there auditioning and you turn red as a beat, if you feel any sort of anything, beta blockers can be a big help. Um, but I was tired of crying. I was tired of having my heart broken. I mean. And, and I feel like Larry Bates said on this podcast, confidence is everything. And I, can, I cannot agree more. When I would book a job, then I would be confident and that would lead to three more jobs. And then I wouldn't, and I wouldn't work for a year or more, you know? And then I would get so close, so close. And every single time, nope, nope. And my, I'm a, I'm a sensitive guy. Like, I think I was, like born with like an extra like dose of emotions. <laughs> and I was just tired of crying and having my heart broken. And I had had my, my laser focus on being a movie star from the time I was nine years, six years old, honestly. And there was no plan B. It's so funny when my mom dropped me off at DePaul, she was like, you know, you could go to beauty school and like learn how to do that. So you can cut hair in the dorms to make money. I'm like, there's no plan B. Like. I'm going to be a movie star. That's all there is to it. Well, guess what I do now? <laughs> I own my own hair salon. <laughs> and so she, you know, but it all worked out the way it was supposed to. But basically I stopped because I was like, is there anything else in this world that, that will make me happy? Because I am miserable right now. I'm tired of crying every day. You know, you're selling yourself. <coughs> and they're telling you, you know, there's only so much rejection that I could take at that time. So I were you were you still did you feel like you had a community out here in LA or no like did you or and also what did the raving continue in LA that's, that's my question the other part of that yeah so um I was also suffering from like I don't know if this was stage fright or a mixture of stage fright and drugs but anytime I would get you know like I would go out for something that I got really excited for I remember they were casting this gay character on Dawson's Creek and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I couldn't remember the lines, you guys. And it, was, it wasn't, you know, pages and pages, but I just, I was psyching myself out. I did better at auditions on things that I didn't know really a whole lot about. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, so I, I, I think it was a mixture of partying and also just kind of like, being fed up and and I couldn't remember the lines and there's nothing more humiliating than you know that's like the bait you know you guys know when they're like I can't Listen, remember those lines and like, I have the same thing and um so I was uh diagnosed it's um like my therapist literally thinks that what happens is that it is um, it's obviously anxiety, but it's also there is some kind of shame, fear of shame that happens that becomes so large. Shame of not remembering, shame of not doing well enough. This is for me. I don't know if this resonates with you, but like, she, uh, and she was like, it is. And then the brain literally shuts down 
and and goes into I will protect you at all costs, which means all of my resources have to go into like basically keeping you in your body. And who gives a shit about copy written by some dude in a room? Like you now are in survival mode. So that's it's panic. It's it's panic and it's fear of of humiliation and it it's real and it and it has really debilitated me as an actor and I'm still working through it. Wow. Yeah. No. What? Can I just tell you both? I'm so obsessed with you both. Like, are you? Are, did you both become therapists at some point? Because this, I, I, I have. I've so wanted to, I'm a huge, huge fan of therapy. Um, huge. And uh, um, endorsed it, love it. Will go for the rest of my life. Um, and there's a part of me that wishes, gosh, you know, if there weren't so much school and if I wasn't 46, <laughs> like I would love, because it's fascinating to me. Um, and I think you're absolutely right, Jen. I think that, uh, you know, it was like, I remember, okay, there was really, really bad, bad show uh, on MTV. MTV, it was called Undressed, and it was this really bad soap opera, and I and it was really bad acting. Um, <laughs> but then when I got on on set, I was like, oh, it's really bad acting because they're giving everybody line readings, like they're telling you say it just like this, da 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 da, and I forgot my lines. I kept forgetting my lines. They were getting so frustrated with me. And I was like, I didn't know that, I could never ask questions. Like I was always scared to ask for what I wanted. Like, I just was like, I don't know. Did you, oh, sorry, I'm bouncing all over the place. But Kristen Goodman said something so amazing in, in her podcast about how the, the whole MFAs, the, they looked at it as like, I'm paying you to learn. That blew my mind. Like if I went in with that, just, just with a notion of that, like, Oh my God, I would, that, to this, I, I, talk, I mean, she just, I love her so much, but I wish that I had <laughs> thought that a little bit more. And I mean, that's not the case when you're working on set, but um, you know, in Hollywood, they're paying you to do a job, but like we, we paid those, those professors to teach us. And I feel like some of the things that, I don't know, th their behavior, I think sometimes, I, we wouldn't fly today, I'll tell you that right now. Well, no, and it wouldn't. So you probably know Boz and I are kind of big into this idea that like when success do doesn't happen to people or it doesn't happen in the timeline that they want or whatever, it, it's often for, for the best because, you know, like I've said to her, if she hadn't made all of these terrible choices, basically turning down opportunities that were coming her way left and right, um, she might have found herself successful and not able to handle and kind of blow it up. Sure. And like, you know, I mean, I'm using her, your words, but as you said, like I probably would have en ended up dead. Oh, I would have been dead. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So Scott, do you think that that's kind of, uh, there was some, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. I would have pulled a Lindsay Lohan. I would have, I would have right. ended right. up dumpster. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. So I, I, I truly believe that like, I, I, I'm so happy that I did it. Um, you know, I, it's, I don't, I think you only regret the things you don't try, the things you don't do. Um, but then there's also this part of me, I'm not gonna lie, that, um, you know, the love never goes away. Um, that I, I don't wanna say it's an empty hole that, you know, I mean, I, I do hair now, it's very creative. 
I have, I, I own my own salon. Um, it's just me and my clients. And, you know, we all, I think everybody puts on their work face or, you know, whatever, but it's nice to be able to be adaptable and, and entertain while you're doing, you know, whatever. Um, but you guys have been such an inspiration. This podcast has been such an inspiration for me because you guys got my creative juices flowing. That, that part that I have not, that hasn't been full in 24 years, you know, like I'm, I, I am like, I'm like, I want to do a podcast. I, you guys. Yes. Doing- yes. Do it. Do it. Also, we're doing a documentary. We're, we're planning to do a documentary on uh, the theater school times, and you will be in that documentary. So. Brilliant. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love Road it. trip. Road trip to Tulsa. You're in Tulsa, right? <laughs> yep. Buckle on the Bible Belt. Tulsa. Okay. Tulsa. Now, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about. Like, what's it like to live oh in Oklahoma God. when you're not the most traditional person? Right. So I, I mean, if you told me, you know, you're going to move back to Tulsa one day and you're going to find your husband and you're going to be content, I would have been like, you're smoking crack. Like there's no way in hell you couldn't pay me enough money. What, 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 uh, what person, what, 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 any sort of minority, why would you choose to live in this horrible red state? Right. Um, but, uh, you know, I really lucked out. Um, there's good people and bad people wherever you go. And the pandemic, I actually had a silver lining with the pandemic. I was working at a competitive salon, kind of like the theater school. <laughs> um, I don't know why I'm drawn to those kinds of things, but um, pandemic happened and I have, um, my mom is a heart patient. She had triple bypass at 42, so she's immune compromised. My husband is immune compromised. And then there's me that just tends to catch every cold that's out there. Um, and I was trying to rack my brain during lockdown, like, how do I do my job six feet away from someone? Like, I have to be like, I have to touch you. Like, I have to cut your bangs. I'm basically in your mouth when I'm cutting your bangs. Like, how am I going to do this? And I took, I, I took this this pandemic very seriously because I I have so many loved ones that it wouldn't be good if they got it. So I just decided to take a chance and open my own salon where it's COVID, it's basically COVID free and people have to be like fully vaccinated and show me their card. And I have air purifiers, we wear masks. It's just a single room with me and my client one at a time. And what's so wild is I thought I was going to shoot myself in the foot when I said you have to be vaccinated or else I can't take you. But there are all these unicorns all over Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> they come to me. And honestly, business is booming. It's never been better. And it's wonderful because it's just me. And it, it's it's very private. Um, we don't have to worry about We can talk politics as loud as we want because there's nobody sitting next to us like, you know, looking us up and down or telling us we're wrong or so um, there are good people here and they're all my clients. <laughs> and, and, and by establishing those boundaries, you created the unicorn club where everybody can is drawn to you because you've established from the outset, like what your thing is. And that makes people understand what is and isn't tolerated by you. And then that makes that draws all the right people to you. And I will say, I will tell you, I don't think I'll ever work for anyone ever again. Like, I don't think I'll ever have a boss ever again. I mean, I'll work with someone, at least in the hair world, but oh my God, being your own boss, you guys, is 
the best. I, I highly recommend it. Like it's I, amazing. So Scott, how did you end up? So what was the transition like leaving okay. lot? Like, did you, did you go out in a fight like me in a fiery blaze of driving drunk into a swimming pool or like, did you, <laughs> um, I, you know, again, like I'm very lucky that, um, I, I moved to New York. So when I quit, so I decided I was like, okay, I'm done with, with acting for a while. I'm going to take some time off. And then I was like, well, why am I living in Hollywood? I've always wanted to live in New York. So I moved to New York, partied and worked retail for four years. Was kind of tired of being like a broke college student. And I'm like, well, let's go back to LA where at least it's a little bit easier and the weather's nice. And I went back to LA this whole time, by the way, never stopped partying. Right. Um, and I got to the point where I was like, you know, I don't think that I can be here. It's too triggering for me to go out and dance. And it had graduated from ecstasy to <clears throat> speed. Um, and I was a functioning addict, but I was like, the only way I'm gonna be able to not get fired from work. And I, I really just wanted like two months to sleep <laughs> to catch up. So I went to rehab, um, which was one of the best things I ever did. And uh, I learned that I am a drug addict, but I'm I'm not an alcoholic. Because drinking was like never my thing. It's still really kind of not my thing. Through lockdown, I will say, I mean, I was guilty of maybe pouring a martini at like 10 a.m. because I felt like we were all living in Vegas and nobody had any idea what day or time it was. But um, but yeah, no, so I can socially drink and I, that's fine. But um, I just was like, I'm gonna die if I stay here. And my mom got divorced from my stepdad and I wanted to come back to Tulsa to check on her. It was, a, I was like three months, that's it. And then it was weird, like growing up here, there was nothing happening. And coming back here, I think I changed, but also Tulsa changed a little bit for the better. So like the best nightclubs, like the best shopping, no, not here, but that's not the most important to me. And like the traffic's not bad here. The cost of living is real cute here. And I met my husband here on Grinder, by the way, Gina. <laughs> I love that. That's beautiful. Um, I yeah. mean, you guys, what would it take? I'm just thinking about your experience there. Like they built you all the way up the first day you got to LA. You couldn't go any higher than that. You got to stay an extra day. You got to do your meeting after meeting. Well, you know, pe people like me and Boz are like going to the beach and whatever is you wasting our time in LA because we weren't getting any meetings. So the, everybody loved you. You got a standing ovation. You got Rick Murphy to say you did great. And then it was a process after, you know, some sex, successes of getting jobs. Then it was a process of like tearing you down when if there could have been a way for you to tolerate or survive the rejection you, you might have stayed and had like a sane career that I think that's the problem is like there's no sane career it seems like in Hollywood you like either go balls to the wall and and burn you know crash and burn right like so what would it take to have an environment that was even just 10 percent more psychologically minded i mean i'm interested pause to what you have to say about that uh well i think it would take it's so interesting it's such a 
a business for me anyway that thrives on youth, right? And uh, and and when we're young, our brains aren't fully formed. So you've got weird ass people running around doing weird ass shit, and their brains aren't formed. So I think it would have to for me it would literally have to take us embracing the um, knowledge and wherewithal of people as they get older and not so much capitalizing on youth because youth don't know shit and we can't know anything. So when you're a youth-centric uh, industry, it's it's a mess. So what 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 I would say is like, what would it? What it's going to take is people to say, "Oh wait, people of all ages, of all races, of all can have careers." And I think then it becomes less of a like, "I have to capitalize on what is hot right now, right now," because later is not going to be so hot. It would take a more a holistic view of like the human experience. And I, there's so much money involved. I'm not sure. And I think coming back at 46 and doing this, and I'm not really trying to be an actor, but as a writer, I'm seeing that, like, you kind of have to go away from, like, 25 to 40 and come back to L.A. if you're going to do it. Dude, that, I just had this image, like, it's, it's, L.A.'s kind of run, like, uh, like porn like it's all about like what's going to get you off like in five seconds instead of anything beyond what's going to happen in five seconds and there's a there's like a short-term memory problem there's a because that thing you described by the way about being the the it you know the thing of the moment whatever um sean said the same thing sean said i think that i was able to do what i was able to do because I just had a particular look at a particular time when they were just looking for my look, you know, and that's important for, to, to say again, to people out there, like, if you don't succeed, you can't necessarily say it's because of your talent. It, it really could be like, it's just not the, it's just not your moment. You're, Hollywood is not having the you moment right now. It might have had it 10 years ago. It might have it in 10 years. It's just not right now. Amen. Amen to that. I, I, I fully agree with you on that. And and um, and, and what I love now is that, you know, everyone's writing. It's like, I remember my agency said, you know, you're just not like anybody else. So we're just going to send you out on everything. And which I was, that's cool. But like, I would get sent out for like football players. And I was like, mm, I don't seem, uh, I'll, I'll go because you're telling me to, but, and I was too scared to say, I don't, you know, I really don't see myself doing this. Um, but yeah, I, I love now how, you know, and, and back in the day, like, I feel like the only thing, like gay, gay characters, that's, not that I wanted to always play gay characters, but I have this voice, okay? I came out, I mean, you can look at pictures of me when I'm three years old. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to know, you know, that I am a gay man. And um, so, I just, I, I love now that people are of, of all, I don't, I don't know, um, ethnicities are every, like Will and Grace was the only thing that I saw. You know what I mean? Um, so I love, I love that, that now there's so much re representation. Um, I think that's wonderful. Um, and uh, I, I love that. And, and I almost feel like if you want it, write it yourself, you know, like what you guys are doing kind of, right? Yeah, I, I I would venture to say that 
Uh, Scott, don't be... I don't think you're done with acting yet. I have this really strong Me too. sense I, that me you're going to... Is there, is there any work in Oklahoma, like film and TV-wise? Um, so people ask me all the time when they find out that I have this other life, other career, why don't you do it anymore? And I'm like, you know, I just I feel like theater-wise, the theater school sort of ruined me as far as like watching community theater, because I cannot turn off that. <laughs> I can't turn off that 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 critical, you know, that we got taught for four years. Well, I didn't see the weather. I didn't, you know, I didn't see, you know, where they were coming from. Like that, the my aunt is still, um, she's still direct. Like she directs Christmas Carol every year um, here in Tulsa, and she asked me to come to final dress and she was interested in, in my notes. And I was like, okay. And after the first act ended, I opened up my big scroll and she's like, okay. And I'm like, okay. So first of all, British accents, like, let's just get, let's just get rid of them. Cause half the people sound like they are challenged. And she's like, you know what? I don't want to hear anymore. I don't want to hear anymore. I'm like, and you know, they're doing it. They're not professionals. I, I did it up, up, up until I went to DePaul. I mean, they're doing it because they love it. They're doing it because it's fun. But that critical note-taking eye is hard for me to shed that I learned. Yeah. 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 What but, about but, film and TV? They're supposedly, yes. Supposedly, I mean, they filmed a movie here with Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, it's a Martin Scorsese movie. Um, I'm going blank on the name. It's about... Um, Don't Look Up? Oh, no, that wasn't Martin Scorsese. No. Oh. Um, Did it already come out? No, not yet. No, oh. it, it's, it's about um, Native Native American. I, I, I really, I can't remember. I'm going blank right now. But yeah, things do happen here, um, here and there. And I keep being told by my aunt that there's like a new casting director that's coming to Tulsa and Tulsa is going to be this new da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like... Maybe I love your podcast. I love you. Uh, you two have like just nailed it. I mean, I live for this thing. I would love to at least do not not least. I would love to do a podcast. I would love to like salon confessional or you know therapy. Like people open up to me so much. Oh, therapy is perfect. That's amazing, and we can produce it on our. Uh, we this is you know we've had in mind for a long time that we would have other podcasts under this umbrella. Seriously, let's talk, let's talk about it because um, yep. you, therapy. Did you come up with that? That's amazing. I did, I did. dude. Yeah. We got to do it. We'll help you. We, I, we'll help you. you. I need your help. You you ladies are are brilliant, and I would love that. That would be that would be filling the hole that I you know that's been. Yeah, kind of it's bad. done. It's done. You're gonna do it. It's done. Yes. I think I think you'd be fantastic on, uh, on a podcast. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead, Boz, what are you going to say? I was going to say also, like, until that happens, like, we could also have you, you know, we have the Let Me Run This By You segment, which is just us. So we could have you as our, like, third once in a while, let let us run. And you could talk about, like, the therapy on our podcast. Like, so you you can't see me right now, but I'm doing a literal toe touch right now, okay? Like, oh. I just made my, well, not oh. really. In oh. my mind, I'm doing a toe touch. I'm like, shit, you better get yeah. get on the pole. What's going on? Um. <laughs> But yeah, no, yeah. So we'll talk, we'll talk. But I mean, because because this has been, I mean, like hearing how we, for me, I wanted to participate in this podcast so that 
um, people could know what it takes to survive a hard thing and know they could. That's like how I had wanted the stories. That's how it started. And now what has become for me is leaving a legacy for people to see that there is not one way to be successful, that success is a very, um, a very multi-layered thing. And that um, sometimes things happen for a reason and sometimes they don't, but yet here we are. If you liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Inc., please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you! <laughs>